0: Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: in a straight jacket mom is all of a sudden okay and I thought we we're gonna have wrath when she came home but when we were sitting in the room talking she stuck her tongue out at me and my mom and I had a very deep deep relationship and her little six psych drugs were all lined up on her tongue and I thought touche mom and I I remember thinking at like at 16 How could I know more than a psych hospital? You've got to do a mouth swipe after you give meds to someone
0: who's a paranoid schizophrenic. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, Please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Patterns of generational trauma need to be broken by us. It's our job. Regardless of what has happened before us or who we feel is to blame, only we can change it. So for five steps to break free of generational family patterns, Go over to the HEAL blog and find out how. The link is in the show notes. Dr. Heather Brown is my guest on the podcast this week, and she is sharing with us her childhood experience of growing up with a mum who had schizophrenia. There was this incredible beauty to Heather's mum, and she was truly magical in so many ways, but she was also deeply unable to cope. Heather cared for her mum so well when nobody else would, and when her mum finally took her own life, Heather was in such deep pain, she knew she needed to find the strength to keep going, and she needed to figure out how to actually do that. It was dark, and it was hard, and it was a journey, but Heather learnt so much, and her life's work is now in helping others to heal in the most beautiful of ways, Heather is known as the reframe queen of Orange County because she has a gift for looking at a situation, at a life, at your relationships and finding the possibility for love and growth and change. Please join me now for Dr. Heather Brown's story. Dr. Heather Brown, welcome to the podcast. You're a psychotherapist and author a soon-to-be TEDx speaker and a mum, and you have worked with thousands of clients to change their sticky thought processes and transform their lives into an expression of beauty and joy. Oh, it sounds so good. You love teaching about how we can find our true selves, wisdom and purpose, even in the midst of chaos. I know your passion for this work comes from your own experiences of trauma and healing. And I'd love to start by asking a little bit about your mum, because she has a central role in your story. Can you tell us about what your mum was struggling with in her life when you were growing up? Sure.
2: And thank you. That was a, that was a beautiful introduction. So thank you, and I'm I'm honored to be here, listeners. My mom was a paranoid schizophrenic, and she also was an alcoholic trying to self medicate. And I'm almost sixty, so when I was a child, mental health was not talked about, understood, known. People didn't really go to psychiatrists, and there wasn't anything like therapy that you talked about. So I really didn't have any idea where she went or what happened or what was going on but it was it was a little bit of a wild ride you wouldn't know what state she'd be in i would say from moment to moment but hours to hours and you wouldn't know when you came home from school how healthy she was going to be or how not healthy i would i would open the door and say hey mom and then i would listen for what room she responded in and different rooms had very different experiences for me. So it was, it was hard. I didn't realize how differently my life was from other people until I was really probably in junior high school and then doing lots of slumber parties and things like that at friends' houses and realizing, Oh, wow. Like you live a very different life than I do, but there's also so, I think in anything that you go through, if you if you search to find how you can utilize this to guide you, to fill you, to grow you, I am completely a therapist because of my experience with my mom because I realized that no one has the same reality. Mm. And so, at a very young age, I understood that. And so, my focus was never to make her believe what I believed. Or or even to try to believe what she believed as my truth. My focus was let me honor what she believes and realize that is what she believes and be able to hold on to my truth as much as possible side by side. That's what my TEDx will be about. That's what my my couple's communication book that's gonna be out next year is about, is about how do you care and love compassionately for others wherever they are on their journey. And allow them to be who they are at this point in their life and to try to support, encourage, come alongside, or wish them well if it's not something that you can support them in for whatever reason.
0: Mm, wow. That's... She
2: was elegantly tragic. She was mm. she was amazing. She yeah. she was amazing. I think a lot of people who are crazy are, you know, they're the the musicians and they are the artists. And they oftentimes are the scientists, brilliant minds, brilliant art, brilliant understanding. She was so far beyond her time in what she knew and what she understood. And she would just feed me philosophy at a a young, young age.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I mean, to have that insight as a child to to be able to allow her to be who she was and also understand what you believed as well. I mean, that's quite a complicated concept for a kid, isn't it? Because a lot of a lot of children would just be so kind of immersed in whatever the mother was doing and saying and being, it it's hard to sort of disconnect and, and maintain your own person, I suppose.
2: Well, and I don't want to say it's easier when someone is a paranoid schizophrenic, but but it's it's clearer. Mm-hmm. So she would believe helicopters flying over had were coming to get her mm. and it was kind of easy to differentiate that that wasn't the truth. Some of the places that 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 she would veer were not quite as clear but i but I also went through it for years seeing my father tell her she was crazy and it was all in her head, and this was Ginny's little problem, and I'd watch her and it it didn't help. And mm-hmm. so my viewpoint is what the world is doing, which is telling her she shouldn't be having these thoughts. These thoughts aren't right. She's crazy. Didn't work. And so my thought was, well, then what do I do? And my thought mm-hmm. was, you know, I try to help her feel safe in what she does experience and does feel and does know. Mm-hmm. But but what's fascinating with people with, with mental illness or mental challenges if you, if you try to trace how they get to where they are, there's a lot of reality there. And so what would be fascinating is when she'd have a belief like I was trying to burn the house down, I could go back and say, okay, like, where did that come from? And I could find a, a, a trickle back to a match or a candle or a comment. So it's kind of like they take parts of it and then a story develops, which isn't your story, but there's pieces of it. And so I was continually kind of unweaving her story to try to understand: okay, where's truth in this? So I don't negate the truth. And then how do I address the truth and lessen it from the places where it kind of went further than what my truth was? And I'm sure I missed, you know, probably 90% of it, but the places where I was aware of it, it was helpful. Because then, then I then I had something to stand on. If, if you're trying to stand with someone who's unbalanced, you're going to have a really tough time, mm. a really tough time. And so I had to try to stand on what I could align with, what I could agree with, what made some part of sense to me to be able to then look at the places where it seemed really far and be able to say, okay, well, here she's going kind of far, but I did light a, I did light a match. So I do see how that thought could pop up. And and maybe that was just my own wrestling with trying to hold on to something. It could be, but it helped. And mm. when you're living with someone who's a parent, who's mentally unstable,
0: you need a lot of help. You really do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I can see how you turned to be a psychotherapist because <laughs> you're obviously at a very young age, you're trying to figure this out person out constantly 24 seven. And I'm interested, do you know, back in that time, we talk about there not being that awareness around mental health. Was your mum getting a level of help from somewhere? Yeah. No, there, there really wasn't. I did have her
2: restrained in a straight jacket, which was horrid when I was 16. And she's even fooled the doctor's which was really hard. And I noticed at that moment, she's probably not going to get better because they didn't even do like a mouth swipe on her. So at the end of the seventies, there really wasn't, there really wasn't help. And, and, and paranoid schizophrenics are very fearful of doctors. They're fearful of anything. And so they're one of the hardest to treat. She was hospitalized once involuntarily. I was the person who set it in motion i was 16 and we held her which was awful but but held her down in the car and took her and they put her in a straight jacket and they held her for 72 hours and it was just the hope that they would know what to do and the family goes and visits and we went and the doctors were saying she's amazing and she's incredible and she's doing so well and my dad and my sister who were both older than me of course we're so astonished and so happy. And I remember looking at them thinking, now you guys are crazy. There's no way staying in a psych hospital in a straight jacket. Mom is all of a sudden, okay. Not that we were going to have wrath when she came home. But when we were sitting in the room talking, she stuck her tongue out at me. and My mom and I had a very deep, deep relationship. And her little six psych drugs were all lined up on her tongue. And I thought, touche mom. And I I remember thinking at like at 16, how could I know more than a psych hospital? You've got to do a mouth swipe after you give meds to someone who's a paranoid schizophrenic. <laughs> so she wasn't taking the meds. And somehow she held on to enough stability through those days to come home. And we just went right back into it. There was no follow-up care. There was not one phone call, one session. She was just not going to kill herself at the, you know, at that moment. So she was released. She did kill herself a couple of months later, but at that moment she wasn't going to, but to be fair to the the mental health system, which I dearly love and work in, you're not allowed to keep someone who's not potentially going to kill themselves or hurt somebody else. Mm. You're just not able to. that's part of the reason why we have so many people who have drug problems on the street going to, you know, potential ODs all the time because you can't hold someone against their will unless they're potentially going to hurt someone else or themselves. And so there really wasn't more that the hospital could do. And at that time there wasn't any follow-up care. Mm. So she, she didn't get any better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy when you look back, I mean, obviously in, days gone by people were just locked up right so I guess you are in this kind of in-between stage of understanding whereas now we have such a better understanding at that point people were and I
2: would slip doctor's notes I would feign injury and illnesses to go to the doctor and I'd slip them notes like please help there's something wrong with my mom and she would confiscate the notes and get mad but I but I really do have to give a lot of just compassion toward my father because I believe probably almost every other man would have locked her up. It was really, really hard and he didn't. And he worked hard to provide for my sister, my mom, myself and him so we could live in a beautiful house. My mom clearly couldn't work, but we always had food. You know, we always we always were well taken care of at least as far as the things that we needed to have physically. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of men that wouldn't have done that. My dad dearly loved my mom. He really yeah. did. He really did. And and for that, I will always be grateful that he sacrificed what could have been a very different life for him because he didn't want that experience for her. And it probably would have been electric shock and all of that at that point, because it was, it was severe. Mm. Wow. You you describe your dad as being quite absent, though, in your life. He was. He was. He was a workaholic. He, He was a man who was very charming, loved people, and being at home with my mom was not easy. And so he worked a lot, and he went to lots of parties and dinners and things like that, and that was his way of having part of his life be really pleasurable and enjoyable. My sister, bless her heart, she's about two and three quarter years older than me. She got very invested in boys and music and partying. So she would escape and I was the younger one. So I was at home and I took it upon myself to be my mom's caretaker, which I'm grateful that I did. Though I realize now it really was a choice I made. No one obviously forced me to do it. But it gave me a lot of time with her, which was hard. But I also really got to experience a lot of her her beauty, which my dad and my sister missed because they were, they were gone. They were away. My dad tried hard, but he, it was completely over his head. Mm. Yeah, it was over all of our heads.
0: And tell us about that beauty that you experienced when you were just with your mom. Well, she...
2: She was magical. She was fairy. And so like she had a coat named Ivan, which was this white furry coat. So it was a polar bear that would hug her. Her cars were all named. We spoke to fairies in the, in the yard. And whenever it rained, it was fairies dancing on our, our hood. So she brought magic, she brought wonder. We hunted for four leaf clovers and when we found them, she would say it was because we were a fairy because only fairies can find four leaf clovers. So she was really magical, unbelievably creative, a great writer, incredible with like stitching and baking. And she wrapped the most perfect presents. She had an elegance about her. She had an exquisiteness about her. Very, very refined and cultured and beautiful, just beautiful. And then we had our moments where it was just wild and crazy and insane. But she felt the need to share deep truths. So she would talk about the Mayan tribe and she would talk about Alan Watts and she talk about Freud and so many things Adler so many things that were way over my head but I I I grew to try to connect with realities and thought processes and just the different aspects of how you you live in this world I had to do a lot of work after she killed herself to learn how to be me and how to really find what I believed and to deal with that loss and to deal with what happened afterwards with my father. But I would completely not be who I am without her. Mm. That's for sure. My father too, but especially my mom.
0: Yeah. She does sound so magical. What At what point as a a little girl did you kind of realize that she was different? Like, was there a, a sort of a moment where you... Realize mom's different.
2: I was eight and we were at the laundromat, and she had this little game she used to play with Christy and I, or so I thought it was a game. And when mom was tired of being mom, she'd become Judy, and Judy would step in just for a little while, kind of like a babysitter. She never did it in front of my dad. She never did it in front of other people, though we didn't spend a lot of time with other people, which I'm sure was on purpose
1: mm. so
2: that people didn't see the alcoholism. And so people didn't, didn't see what was really going on. People after she passed, told me they could tell there was something wrong. I'm like, yeah, thanks, but they never said anything or did anything, but they were worried and concerned from afar, I guess. But when I was eight and we went to the laundromat, she was Judy. And so When Mr. Chen came up to her and said, you know, hello, Virginia. She said, I'm not Virginia. I'm Judy. And I, he looked at me and I didn't know what to say. And he looked back at her and she said, you know, Ginny's gone away for a little while. And I saw his whole face just go blank. And he walked away. We did our laundry And as we were walking out, he came up to me. I remember I I was eight and he said, are you okay? And I remember looking at him and with a really huge smile, I said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then we just walked off. But at that moment, I knew something's really not okay and then it was about two years later until we went just off the rails when I was 10 it was bad her mother died which was really hard on her because she hated her mom and so her mom her mom was massively abusive emotionally mentally physically I don't know about sexually but definitely the other ways massively when she was a child and so I think she had always really hoped that at some point that relationship would be restored or healed. And when her mom died, it it sent my mom into a deep, deep darkness of she was never going to be loved by her mom. Mm -hmm. And as far as she experienced, she never had been. I don't think her mom really wanted children. I I don't. I know she didn't want to be a grandma. So I imagine she probably didn't want, she didn't treat my mom... Like you would think a mom would treat your child. Mm-hmm. so it was more my mom, my mom was there to serve my grandmother.
0: Do you think your grandmother had mental health issues herself? She very well may have. She certainly was
2: hurting deeply. Mm-hmm. So something we only hurt when we've been hurt, and she was a she was a a, a tough, hard hold in a lot of ways woman. And so she must have been very, very hurt. I don't, I don't know how or when or why I came from the generation that you really didn't talk about your childhood at all. So I don't know very much at all about my grandparents' lives. I know quite a bit more about my mom and dad, but not my grandparents. And they, that they would pick moments, which were like their stellar moments to share, like being homecoming queen, or you know, being the radio personality, or winning the bake show, but they didn't—they didn't talk about what went on for them. Yeah, she had to have had something because she was very, she was very cruel. Mm. She's very cruel, and I know that all comes from us just wanting to be loved, and not feeling loved, and not knowing how to cultivate that for ourselves or cultivate that with others. And that can make us very, very cruel in what we do out of that internal hurt. Mm. And so I think that's been a lot of my walk in this life is trying to look at how do we help people who are all hurting, love themselves, love others, show compassion and not inflict more pain and suffering. It's it's fascinating how when someone we're in a relationship with is is upset and mad and angry and will say to them, you know, you, you need to go change your attitude for me to love you. Come back when you've changed your attitude. And, and we think we're being helpful, but the truth is the reason they're acting out, the reason they're they're upset is because they're, they're not feeling loved. And so what we're technically saying to them is, I'm not going to love you, even though you're not feeling loved. So you go figure yourself out. And when you can come back and love me, then I'll love you. And that's kind of a microcosm of what a lot of us do in relationship. Instead of looking at the person who's really upset and hurting and saying, like, I'm not okay with the way this is going down, but I can tell you're hurting. And when we can talk about it or explore it without you needing to hurt me, I want to, because I see you're hurting that's a different relationship. And so I try to show people, how do you do that? How do you look at how you're treating yourself, how you're treating others, how people are treating you and recognize if it's not feeling good, if it's not feeling supportive, if it's not enjoyable, then there's love missing somewhere, either with me, either with you, either with the situation and whoever happens to be aware of it can bring it. And then people will say, well, why do I have to be the one who does? And I always say, well, you you don't, but you're wanting it. So ask yourself, do you want to feel more loved? And they say, yes. And I'm like, well, you can. You can right now by choosing to care for yourself in this moment, and then see if you can care for the person that you're with also. And there'll be a little internal wrestle of like, well, why do I have to do it? And like, mm, why don't we think about it the other way? Oh my goodness, I can do this to change this. So we actually cultivate some love here. And they kind of go, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, yeah. But we are so stuck thinking in a commodity base of relationship. You know, if you don't do this, then I won't do that. And it's, it's just so... It's just so childish, because if you don't like what you're getting, giving it back is just making a whole lot more of what you don't like. Mm. It just drops you down into the other person's vibrational place. So if you come to me and your vibration feels darker, heavier, deeper, I have a choice, which is, do I drop down where you are and now I feel yucky with you? Or do I take a deep, deep breath and, and realize, wow, you're coming at me in such a lower place? Shoot. I don't want to join you there. What can I do to hold on to mine? And then there's a self responsibility to know if I'm going to hold on to mine, I got to realize what's going to become in my way is going to be darker, deeper, heavier, probably crueler. And that doesn't mean that I have to take that as my truth. It's yours. That's something that I learned from living with my mom. The reality she would come with didn't always fit mine. I needed to try to hold on to mine, but I also needed to recognize that that was hers. And if I wanted to, I could join her or I didn't have to, if it didn't serve me. But I'm, I help clients be very mindful of that. What's the energy that's going on between the two of you? If if it's not benefiting you, if it's not helpful, if it's not honoring the two of you, then be careful of stepping in further because you want to make certain you don't make a situation worse.
0: Mm. What you just said is everything. I just love that explanation. It's just like if everybody in the world could understand that, can you imagine like how the world would change? It's just so simple. It's it is so,
2: so silly that we don't know it. No. Whenever
0: my kids were upset with me, they come into
2: the room and they'd say, we need to talk. I'd say, absolutely. Do I have permission to share one thing first? And they, you know, always, yes. And I'd say, <laughs> I love you so much. Um, and they'd go, mom. I'm like, yeah, come here, come here. <laughs> like, right in my face, tell me what I need to do to try to help, like what's not right. And they would just cry. And I would just cry. I had an amazing awareness with my daughter one time. So she she needed to go to the doctor to get a vaccine before she was going to India. And she didn't understand. And so she didn't go to our doctor. She ended up going to the free clinic. And she called me because it was $300 at the free clinic for the shot. And I said, where are you? And she told me, I'm like, why aren't you at our doctor? And she said, I, th- I thought I was supposed to do it here. I'm like, No. So she was frustrated and she said, well, I'll go then. I'm like, well, honey, you can't. You had to have an appointment. Just go ahead and get the shot. Don't worry about it. Like you need to have it for your trip and come home and, you know, we'll figure it out. And she did this big huff. And so I said, I'm really sorry. You're so frustrated. And then she said, I wasn't until I got on the phone with you. And I went, I'm going to get off the phone now. And we can talk about this when you get home. And I hung up the phone, and I wanted to go ballistic. I really, really, really did. Like, how could you talk to me that way? And now I'm the mom, and I have to pay the three hundred dollars And I told her but I knew none of that was going to do any good. So I looked at it for what it was. She's a young girl. She's confused. She always feels guilty when she wastes my money because I'm a widow, so I work really hard. And she's very mindful of that. And I knew she was just frustrated. So by the time she came home, I decided it was over. Didn't matter. You know, I worked that day. So the $300 just went away. That's okay. I didn't make any money that day, but that's okay. Like there was money to pay for it. And I was in a great mood. So she came home and she walks into my room and she's pissed still. And she starts in with the you know defensiveness. I didn't know. And you didn't tell me. And like, it's not my fault. And, and I just took a deep breath. And I said, sweetheart, look at you and look at me. What do you mean? I said, exactly what I said. Take a deep breath. Look at how you're talking and how you're feeling and look at me. She goes, what? I said, we are in different realities. Yours is defensive, angry, frustrated. And mine is everything's okay. I just want to have a good night with you. And I just want to love you. She went, mom, I said, we are, we are living different realities right now. And I said, so you've got a really important choice. She goes, what is that? And I said, I'd love to have you join mine. Mine is come get a hug. Let's cuddle. Let's say we're sorry. It was a crappy day. Let's have a yummy dinner and watch a movie. Or there's yours, which is judgmental and angry and attacking. And I'm not willing to join yours. So- stay in yours if you want to, but not in my room or join me or let's come up with a third. And she said, what is going on? I said, I think I just realized something massively important. There's so many possibilities in any moment and I'm not going to choose the one that you're choosing. And she said, I can literally lay down with you and everything will be fine. I said, as long as you choose for it to be. And my brain just went, But it's true. Like we do create our own reality based upon what we say, what we think, what we feel, what we choose. And we also do that with others. And part of that is deciding, well, how do I step in or do I step in? And in really grasping that, it changed how I live my life in so many ways because my thought is, when i'm feeling mad sad bad frustrated self pity whatever it might be i got to look at myself and say why are you choosing this and sometimes i'll say because i'm going to darn it or because this is this is all i could do right now okay but sometimes i i can do quite a bit more and so then i'll ask myself you know is there just a little bit of a better thought that i can have than this you know, I'm a widow and I'm alone. And why don't I get to have a partner? And I hate being single. Is there a little bit of a better thought I can think than that? Yeah, I'm really grateful that that I have beautiful people in my life and I have wonderful clients and I do for the most part like me. And I do think at some point I'll be in a relationship and I really look forward to that time. And it's okay at times to be sad You just keep moving up a little bit so then it doesn't feel quite as dark i am not someone who says do not truly own what reality is i think you i think you need to i think you have to but there is a place of what do you focus on within that reality for what serves you and what doesn't serve you so i'm known in orange county as the reframe queen because i have a skill maybe it's a gift For looking at a situation and instead of just looking at the dark, looking at a possibility of growth or change. Now, I want to be careful about something with this because it can sound really Pollyanna. I'm not saying when you're in deep, 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 deep depression or you have been abused that that you're going to be in that place. It's not something to really do in crisis. Crisis, trauma, is a very, very different experience. And you've got to do everything you possibly can to take care of yourself and stay in what is your reality as much as possible to to help yourself in the way that you need to take care of yourself. But as soon as you're out, there is a place to start looking at, are my thoughts allowing me to heal? So I'll ask myself, does this thought help me? Or does this thought hurt me? And if the thought hurts me, because I don't ever want to hurt myself, I know that I am doing something that doesn't honor me. How much it helps me might be a teeny bit or it might be massive. That depends upon my ability. But if I'm doing something that hurts me, I try to recognize it and then really look at what's going on within me that I'm hurting myself mm-hmm. or allowing myself to be hurt.
0: Why am I not? Taking better care of me—it's really just a basic having a, an awareness, isn't it? Really, I mean, because we we grow up without ever thinking about those things, and when you do start doing that regularly and just stopping yourself and having an awareness around what am I thinking—it's so power- I think especially powerful, especially women. Mm. I think
2: especially for women. I know I was raised to not be selfish, mm. to always care about other people's feelings, to. Make certain everyone is happy and it, it, it sounds lovely, but at some point you've got you've got to take care of you. And if my focus is always you need to be happy, you need to have what you want, I'm here to take care of you. No one is taking care of me. And as anybody who's a people pleaser will know, or someone who has anxious attachment, like you're the perfect person to join with someone who's selfish or lazy, or narcissistic, because they're looking for someone, or dependent, they're looking for someone to take over their life and do it for them. And, you know, people pleaser more than happy to, because then you feel valued out of being needed.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
2: And I think that's such a problem for so many women in this world that we're looking for others. I heard a, a podcast that was with Ram Dass, and it was, it was just brilliant. And what he said, as we come into the world as a baby, knowing we're perfect, we're absolutely perfect. And we start to pick up social cues from our caregiver of what they enjoy and what they like about us. And we learn that and we're very adept at that. Get around two or three and we start to socialize. And all of a sudden we start to become aware that certain behaviors are accepted and certain behaviors are not. And if you act in certain ways, other children won't play with you or the teacher like won't allow you to play in that way. So there's this split within ourselves, where we start to feel like I'm not good enough on my own. I'm only good enough if you approve of me. And I think that's where humans have really undermined our ability. I was thinking about bullying the other day and how we try so hard to be nice and to be supportive and to be uplifting. And if we just told our children, if someone's mean to you, Don't play with them because they're mean to you. And that's it. Not that you have to fight back. Not that you need to put them down. Not that they're not able to be that way. But I was raised, you have to get along with everyone and you have to try to make everyone happy. So I tried to make bullies happy, Mm -hmm. which is hurtful to me. So if we just said, if someone's nice to you, great. You have fun with someone. Great. You learn from someone. Great. You want to hang around someone. Great. Someone's mean to you, puts you down, hurts you. Don't play with them. We would be so much healthier, but we're not raised to really take care of ourselves. We're raised to try to impress others. Oh, yeah. At the loss of
0: ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's almost like we need to slot in this whole curriculum for young teens isn't it or even kids you know that teaches them these things because society is just continuing on in these cycles of what we need to be to be valuable I just wanted to go back to your story because we didn't talk about the time where you actually lost your mum how do you move on from from that time because what are you like 16 years Mm -hmm. old at that time how do you how do you as a person move on how do you find the strength what happened to you in the next few years
2: a lot a lot I think as anyone knows you're not prepared for tragedy but there's the truth that if you haven't died that you're still here and unless you choose to take your own life you got to figure out how to do here I knew that I needed to have support. And so we did not, we were not raised with any kind of religion per se. My mom didn't trust churches, but I felt a strong need to go to church to try to kind of find some sort of a family because I knew mine wasn't healthy. So I started to go to church, which just gave me people who cared, which was very, very helpful. I worked hard in school to try to prepare myself to have, you know, a life and my father was scared by the future I was choosing because I was choosing to be an actress. He had a lot of reasons to be scared because I was six foot one and I was a very good student. I threw myself into school. So I got into UCLA and I got into Sarah Lawrence, but he would only pay for my college if I went to UCLA and did business. And I didn't want to. And having gone through all that I went through in my childhood, trying to help my mom stay alive when my father made that very strong declaration, you're going to go to UCLA for business. My inner strength just reared her head like she never had. And I just said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing theater. And he said, not in my house. so I said, okay. And so I graduated and I left and I went to New York and was on my own, which was insane to be 18 and be disowned by your dad trying to self-support yourself to go to college as an actress mom's dead it was crazy and I absolutely tanked fortunately because I needed to and definitely a a deep dark depression and did see there was a, a therapist at my school did go to him and he was phenomenal and really helped me look at there's every reason for you to be falling apart and having a hard time living right now. So it was dark. It was dark and it was hard. And what I found is I would go through seasons of being able to really dig deeply and process and other seasons where I just had to pull back and try to do life and enjoy life. And it's, it's been a, it's been an ongoing journey. I, I did years and years of therapy.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. I I needed to. I needed to, because there was so much that I, there's so much I didn't have even now, even now I'm almost 60 years old. There's so much I, I, I don't know and don't have because I I wasn't, wasn't raised within a family that was really a family. And then, then I was in my husband's family, but then he died. So that, that ended. And so now it's me once again, my kids are grown. We're very close, but I continually come back to this place where it's me and it's odd, but that for some reason is my life path that people have died. And so then I'm left on my own and I'm not quite sure what that is other than it does give me more time to try and build relationship and write and, you know, do my TEDx, but it's been fascinating to watch. I thought it was, I think it was odd to lose my mom at 16. And then my kids lost their dad at 14 and 17. Odd, odd that that would happen. So it's an, on, it's an ongoing thing. I don't think you're ever completely through it. You're just mm-hmm. to where you are now and then trying to utilize what it is that that life brings to you in ways to honor and serve and care. But I, I'm very frequently baffled at like, wow, how is this what my life is at this stage? It's so not what I would have thought. And yet it's amazing in what it is, but it's not Like I don't have the normal life that most people have at this age, you know, with big family and marriage and grandchildren popping out and it's Memorial Day here in the U.S. And, you know, most people are at family barbecues and I'm here doing a podcast with you. So I'm being used in different ways than a lot of people. And I think part of that has been my journey because people will say like you share things that other people don't share. And I think that comes out of
0: living kind of an unconventional life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what it is, I think. You're here to to spread the wisdom from the life that you've led. And, I mean, you're obviously turning what happened, like even with your dad, it's just heartbreaking with everything that had happened to you that he then kind of threw you out. I mean, that and, and yet what you've done with your kids is completely break that cycle, you know? And they
2: know that, they mm. know that 100%. I do not think, I mean, there's times where people do have to protect themselves if someone is abusive to them or their way of life just is destructive for them to be a part of. There are times where people have to pull away from others and, and I do understand that, but I've told my kids, there's there's nothing there's nothing that they could do other than maybe kill each other that I that I would ever, yeah. even if they're in jail, I'm going to go visit them in jail. They're still my children. I still mm-hmm. brought them into the world. And I have a huge role and a responsibility in being here for them and trying to support them and encourage them and love them as much as possible. Doesn't mean I like everything they do, for mm-hmm. sure. Doesn't mean I always like the choices that they make. My daughter and I have a saying of, like I'll be in the boat because sometimes she needs to go swim off on a journey, and I'm like, I am not swimming that journey with you, but I'll be in the boat. Please come back, mm. and she always does. She always does. But it it is. But I also have to laugh at it because my dad said, like, you're never going to make it in theater, and I mean, like, killer of my dreams. But you're never going to make it in theater. You, you're very smart. You should just be a businesswoman. And and what am I? I'm a businesswoman. So. <laughs> His way of doing it was horrible. Like, could you be any more cruel? But as a parent, I see what he was trying to do. He was trying to keep me from having a career that was going to be really hard. There are not many actresses at six foot one. There just aren't. And I didn't really realize that until I tried to make it. But rejection and shunning and being disowned that is something that I have really explored because it happened and happened in my family with my dad. And then it's happened a little bit, you know, now with, with my late husband having passed that whole family relationship kind of has crumbled. And sadly, that is often the case with divorce or abuse. When things come out, people don't always know what to do. And sometimes people just kind of pull back instead of dealing with it, or just decide I won't deal with this. There's a lot of people who go through horrible traumas and when they share them, people don't believe them or mm-hmm. tell them they're not true or they're making it up or just don't know what to do. And a lot of people in not knowing what to do, just disappear. Yeah, I had, One of my best friends did something so perfect. Her name is Susie. She is an angel on this earth. We've been friends for, I don't even know, 30, 30, 38 years. She lives two and a half hours away. She came up four Wednesdays in a row after Ted died, drove two and a half, three hours to come spend three hours with me to then drive home two and a half to three hours. She'd walk in my door and she'd say, what needs to be done? And I would just look at her, no clue. She'd walk around my house and she'd say, you have no food. I'd say, I don't care. She goes, we're going to the market. You don't have any socks that are clean. I don't care. Put in socks. Your microwave's broken. I don't care. Fix my microwave. One of the best things you can do for anybody who's going through crisis is if they're willing to have you show up, show up and just look and see where they might need some support or some care because as all of your listeners know when you're in crisis all you're trying to do is keep breathing and -hmm. there's so much that falls away because you're just not capable of doing it and it doesn't really matter you're just trying to survive but a lot of people will wait and say what could I do for you and no no one's gonna say could you go buy me milk Mm. you just you can't even comprehend that. So be there. It's really what all of us need is someone who's willing to be there with us as we figure out what we've got to figure out for our life. But the presence of, that's why I'm a therapist, the presence of sitting with someone in their situation and honoring where they are and trying in whatever way to be compassionate or caring or safe is a huge gift. Absolutely. Did you ever reconcile with your dad? To a certain extent, to a certain extent. Anyone who can hurt someone really deeply, and he did some other things that were, like I was molested. Anyone who can do things that are really hurtful to a child. I'm not going to say they can't learn and grow beyond because they can, but you're always a little wary.
0: And they have to want to, right? Yeah.
2: And I know for me, it's like, well, I work with people who where the, someone has had an affair and the person says, you know, I just have to be able to trust you again. And I tell them, I said, you're going to hate what I say, but it is the truth. You're not, you're not going to completely because they have proven to you. They can be untrustworthy. So you're going against your logic by saying, well, now you won't, even though I never thought you would before I said, and I hope that they will truly be trustworthy. But the better thing to do is to trust yourself. You're going to take care of yourself, regardless of what happens. And I think when you have been abused or hurt deeply, sometimes that's what comes out of you. Yes, I can be involved with you, but it's not going to be quite as possibly open or free or innocent because you've hurt me. Mm. So I didn't want to be in this world without any family. So yeah, I met with him many, many times to talk about what happened. And I, I did want to have a relationship with him and we did learn to care for each other quite a bit, but it, it was never a deep, deep heart connect. Mm. Yeah. no, Not what I would have wanted. No.
0: Yeah. And so Your work is around people being their true selves. How can we find our true selves when we're still in the chaos of our life?
2: That's a great question. Well, the chaos is trying to guide you to that. And so in the moment that is chaotic and and frenetic, you're probably not going to be able to really find the the truth of you, especially because you're in a situation that is so out of normal, but you can tap into some truths, which are, I'm trying really hard. I'm very resilient. I'm very tenacious. I want better than this. I think it can be other than this. I'm going to do whatever it takes to help myself beyond what this is. This doesn't have to be my future forever. So there's a lot of speaking into self-care and self-guidance that will come. And then as, as you get further and further out, it's important to really take time and, and look at like, what has this shown me? What what has this brought into my awareness? And, and what am I to do with this? Crisis, if we use it in this way, guides us to very important truths. How do you show up for yourself? Who also shows up? Where are you not showing up? What needs to be different? How can you be different? There's an incredible amount of refining that happens in crisis where all the fluff and the, like, I need to have you look at me this way and am I thin enough? And all the gobbledygook of our ego really falls away and it gets to the marrow of who are you? And I think in crisis that really gets kind of all broken up for you then to come to it kind of more so as you're moving out of crisis, mm-hmm. and then start to know. I, I didn't realize I was this strong. I didn't know I could get through this. There's an interesting truth that we don't know anything beyond this moment. So when people say, like, they're, let's say they're they're getting a divorce and they say. You know, I I don't know how to do that. Well, I honor that. I say, well, of course you don't. You've never been divorced. I didn't know how to do life without Tad until the day after he died. I had to learn how to do life without Tad. It's actually true all the time. I don't know how to do tonight because I'm not at tonight. Most likely tonight will be pretty simple. So it'll seem like I know how to do it. If something shocking happens, then it's harder. So it's important for us to realize We've gotten through our whole life so far. Most of us have been through quite a bit by the time we hit 50, 60. So we've done it all and we've made it to here. Chances are we're gonna be able to figure this out. And if we can't, someone's gonna come alongside to help us with it or we're not gonna make it. I mean, those are kind of the three options that we have. Either I figure it out, somebody figures it out with me or I I don't make it. And when you let yourself know that truth, then it kind of helps you with which one, which one is it going to be? And that is up to each individual. Some people never let people help. Some people don't ever do it for themselves. Most of us are a little bit of a combination of both. Mm -hmm. And I think we are continually finding who we are because we're changing all the time. So who I was a month ago, You know, I'm, I'm very different from who I was a month ago in some ways, simply because I've learned more or understood more or been more honest with myself, but we're continually changing, which is beautiful, but also can be kind of hard Hmm. to not really know who am I completely. Well, I'm only who I am completely. If that's who I choose to be, because I can choose to be different in a second. If I choose to be, we get to make us
0: each Hmm. moment. Yeah. And so it is about learning to love ourselves right where we are right now. Yeah. When I have people that come to me and, and
2: especially people who, who struggle with depression or anxiety, what I say to them is, you know, I want you to stop ranking where you are from other days. And they look at me and I say, all I care about is today. So today, if you woke up and it's here, you know, hi then that's your, your neutral line for today. If you're starting the day low, then that's your neutral line. You start where you start and you go up and down. But we create a lot of problem for ourselves. when we start a day and say, this isn't where I should be. Well, maybe you're going to rise it, that putting yourself down for where you woke up isn't going to help you. In COVID, it was pretty hard sometimes for me to live by myself and have to Zoom with clients and not be able to do anything and not be able to date, not be able to go to the orchestra or the concerts and just be here. And I would go and look at caterpillars intently or the bottom of roses to look at the different colorations and to see the green from the, you know, the stamen and all of that bleeding into the petals to get out of my head and try to see something beautiful and glorious that I didn't create. There was one day where I had 13 caterpillars in my yard. And every time I got dark and heavy, I would run out and look at the caterpillars. And my daughter was coming that night for dinner. And she came and she said, how was your day? And I said, I ran out and looked intently at the caterpillars six times. Being the glorious daughter that she is, she said, oh, wow, mom, you did so much to give yourself a good day. And I thought, that's the way to look at it. Not, it was such a hard day. It was so tough. It was so brutal. I had to run out into the yard six different times to try to count caterpillars, to try to get myself out of my muck, to yeah. go to the side of, let me just take care of me in whatever way it is that I need to. If I need to sleep, I need to sleep. If I need to look at caterpillars, I'll look at caterpillars. How do I help myself with where I am right now? And how do I let that be okay? Okay. As long as my focus is truly help and not hinder or hurt. Mm-hmm. And and as you get softer with that, like our little our little inner child and our, our soul wants that. Like we truly want to love ourselves. We just believe we shouldn't. But our body wants to be loved by us. Our heart for sure wants to be loved by us. Our mind would love to be loved by us, but it's 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 a choice and a habit how much you cultivate that. And I know for me, the more I try to focus, not so much on I've got to love me, but let me focus on love. Let me focus on caring. Let me focus on compassion. Let me focus on gratefulness and thankfulness. Then I'm part of that. But when the focus is I've got to love me, I very quickly get stuck in my ego with all the places. I don't love me. Mm. A lot of the things that we do in this world, affirmations, visualizations, it's trying to tell ourselves we're not where we are. Had had an awareness the other day beyond vision boards. What if we had feeling pots? So you have a vision board, you know, all these things you want to have and you look and you dream about having it. But they're photos, they're they're not in your life. So my thought was, well, what if you like look at it quickly? And then what if you go into the experience of feeling it? Like, what would it feel like to have that kind of a car? Like I can, I can feel what it would feel like to sit in that or to be hugged by a strong man once again. I can totally feel what that feels like. And let myself experience the energy of it. I I think that is a much more fruitful way than to tell yourself. I'm going to have a Mercedes. Mm. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but like I got a Hyundai in my driveway. So a Mercedes is a big jump, but I can think about what it would feel like to have a Mercedes. And though it's not mine right now, I can be like, I can imagine what that feels like. I can imagine what it feels like to be in love with a man again. I can imagine that. And that feels good instead of I'm planting a photo of what I want in my mind or I'm going to tell myself eventually one day I'll have it. If we let ourselves move into the feeling of it, we're experiencing it. And though we don't have the thing that we would ideally desire, we are experiencing the essence of it. Had had an insight after a guy that I dated for five and a half weeks, his ex came back and I was falling in love with him. And when it was over, I was devastated because it was shocking. She just popped back in and he needed to try to make it work i understand but i was devastated and i remember thinking you know i just want ed i just want ed i just want ed and one day i realized no i actually don't cuz ed's with another woman but i want the i want to hold on to the way i feel when i'm with ed or when i think about ed before it hurt and i thought those feelings are within me now i'm saying ed is the creator of it no I'm the creator of it. And so when you own, it's not so much that thing I'm looking at or that person I'm looking at. It's the experience that I give myself inside. It was me saying to Sienna, come, let's have a lovely night. I could hold on to you have wasted $300 of my money and I'm frustrated and I'm angry with you, especially because you were rude and disrespectful. Or I can go to, I'm going to let this go because I want to have a lovely night with you. Our lives are about what we allow ourselves to experience and feel and that changes things. Thoughts are rapid. Thoughts are all over the place, but when you can change the way you feel, it's deeper. It's deeper. Mm. It's it's why with anxiety, a lot of people focus on the thought. You really also want to focus on the body because the body will hold on to an energetic longer than the mind will hold on to a thought. The body has a harder time deceiving itself. The mind's pretty good. But it's also important that we realize that a thought is a thought. That's it. It becomes a belief the more we focus on it. But a belief doesn't mean it's true. Just means it's a thought I keep thinking and keep thinking and keep thinking and keep thinking. So therefore, I have now owned it as what I believe. But it might not be true feelings guide us really much more clearly to what we are experiencing and what our body is experiencing and the body is an amazing amazing language center for us if we allow ourselves to really nurture that and and explore that
0: yeah it's so beautiful isn't it and it's it really is it's changing those thoughts because when you change your energy you you begin to draw beautiful things to you right i mean it's it's changing it's changing everything about who you are and i had a
2: someone say to me the other day they said tell yourself every single day that you're excited for the miracles that will happen and so i did that that morning i thought oh i'm so excited for the miracles that will happen i got a check from the state of california for $1 And I did a little video about it. Like, look at this miracle. I didn't even know I was getting a dollar. I got a dollar. Like the state of California thinks I need to have more money. That's fantastic. Now, of course, if it had had more zeros, it would have been more significant, but not when it comes to miracles. With miracles, it's the energy of it. I opened myself up to receive and I did. I was walking my my sweet dog one day and I found a $10,000 bill on the, the sidewalk. And it's on my fridge. And they told my kids, I found ten thousand dollars today. And they said, What? I said, I did. I found ten thousand dollars. And it's on my fridge. I was I was sitting in my car one day and I was thinking, if you write a million one zero 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 zero, zero it's the exact same number as zero zero zero. Zero 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 one. One is worth a dollar one is worth a million depends yeah. the perspective and so those kind of thoughts for me move me into well which one do I want to believe the state of California thinks I need to have more money bring it yeah instead of getting caught in well it's only well it's just when we move ourselves into the place of receiving being open to oh my gosh the universe wants to bless us in so many ways. Every butterfly that flies past, I I thank it. Say, oh, bless you, thank you, thank you. And some of them, I know they hear me. Some of them just keep on flitting, but some of them will stay. And I'm sure you know that. As you appreciate and see amazing things happen, I, I, I find the most incredible things at the ocean, sea lions, like a beached sea lion that needed to be rescued, a bat ray that needed to be rescued, a dragonfly that needed to be rescued, a bee that needed to be rescued. Like, it's amazing all these creatures that I find that need my help. And people will say, like, this doesn't happen for most people. And I think I, I know that's true. So I have the thought, like, well, does it happen for me or do I cause that to be so I can love on these things? I don't know. I just know when I walk the beach, miracles happen. yeah, so I think I'm a little bit fairy too. and I think maybe it's in my blood, maybe it's in my mind. I know it's in my spirit, but I think we have the capability of creating magic for ourselves and for others. Uh, and I know that's that's what I love to do. People will say I, I just need to come in and get a little heather fix. and I I know what they mean. I'm like, come on, come on in. We'll reframe you around. We'll sprinkle some fairy dust will really honor how beautiful you are and how much you try and how much you want to love yourself more. Honoring is so important and so missing in so many places. If you go back to the ancient wisdoms, they were all about honor. Mm. They were all about belovedness. There was a a podcast I listened to and the person was asking, how is it that there will be a holy person? And when we go to be in their presence, our experience is so changed. And what must it feel like to be that person? And and the speaker said, well, they're they're just being them. And the reality is it's not so much that they are that different of a person. It's how you look upon them. And if you could look upon everyone like that, you would create for yourself a very different world because it's true. There are holy people who are scorned and rejected, and blasphemed. And then there are holy people who are revered. Depends upon beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. So how do you choose to look? How do you choose to feel?
0: Yeah, it's such an important lesson. And when you're talking about the magical things in your life, you had this beautiful teacher who was your mom, really, who opened your eyes up to so much beauty. And it's like... This beautiful kind of magical piece that she's left with you, I guess, is what I'm seeing. It's so special. Heather, you you love helping people to heal. You've been a psychotherapist for twenty seven years. What is the belief that most people commonly struggle with, do you think?
2: Well, I think the the biggest ones that you see are I want to be loved and I'm not loved. I'm not worthy. I don't know how to communicate. That's a big one, but I think most of us walk around wanting to be loved, but not necessarily loving ourselves or knowing how to cultivate love. And then we focus on the other person as the problem. I had a session with, with a couple today and they're engaged and the tensions are are rising a little bit as they move toward the wedding day, which oftentimes happens as you're going through all the things you're going through. And they had had an argument about something and they'd done a good job to resolve it. But about a week later, the female wanted to go back to a little piece of it. And the gentleman got really upset and said, they called me because he said, you know, I thought I did such a good job that first time. I'm really mad. I tried so hard. And And, and I said, oh, I think you did do a really good job the first time. Are you willing to look at this a little differently? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, so there was a fire and you're the fireman. You put it out, you put it out. All the top area, there's no more flames. But deep down in the earth, maybe there was a little cinder that was still burning. And so when she says, could you help me with this more? She's not saying you didn't do a good job. You actually did a phenomenal job for her to be able to drop down deeper. She's dropping down deeper, which means she's trusting you even more. And she thinks you can comfort her and support her in exploring this place. Sadness, hurt that's coming up. If you were a fireman and you left the 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 scene, they said a spark has reignited. Would you beat yourself up for being a bad fireman? Or would you just go back and put more water down? He said, well, I would just go back and put more water down. I said, how about you do that with her? How about you just give her more love? How about you just give her more compassion instead of, beating yourself up or being angry with her that she's asking you to love her and he Mm. just looked at me and he goes what am I doing like kind of messing it up right now like this is a beautiful opportunity for her to really trust you and see that you really care Mm. isn't that what you want he's like oh my gosh thank god we came in like yeah thank god you did
0: oh wow that's so beautiful that's so beautiful. So you're working with people. What do you want us to know about how you can help them? Who should be coming to see you? Well, it's really who can help
2: themselves. Mm-hmm. Cuz I don't think I don't think any of us have the capability to heal another. I think we heal ourselves, but I think we can be incredible guides for that. So people who are interested in 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 exploring with me, if they just go to my website, there's tons of information. It's Dr. Heather Brown, and it has everything on there. You know, all my social media, it has my, my workshops that I offer, and my coaching that I offer, and my psychotherapy that I offer. I have a six week communication program that I'll be bringing back out after the TEDx again. So, anyone who's interested, I have a newsletter, and there's freebies. Just go to my website, or if you want to pop, a question my way, feel free to send me an email. I'd be happy to answer anything that you have or try to guide you in a direction that works for you. And if people want to work with me, I'm honored to have the opportunity to see how I can best serve people.
0: Yeah. Mm, It's all so beautiful. I think I could continue talking to you for another five hours. (laughs) You're just just such a wealth of beautiful wisdom. I've just loved connecting with you today. Thank you so much for sharing So deeply your story and I'm just so grateful to have met you.
2: I am as well. Bless you, bless your listeners. And I hope today just touches you as you touch yourselves a little deeper and love on yourself and love those
0: around you as much as you can. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast, it would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at mybigloveproject and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.
2: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.